This episode is dedicated to our Stand With The Arts title sponsor, William Ravis, the official real estate company of the Arts Foundation. Hi, I'm Emma from the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. A few things have changed since last season, mainly a global pandemic. So we felt it was important to document the impact this event has had on artists from Cape Cod and beyond. Each of these conversations were recorded from a distance over Zoom. As such, you may hear a few imperfections in the audio. We hope these conversations comfort, inspire, and remind you that we're in this together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Today, we're talking with founder and music director of the Cape Cod Chamber Orchestra, Matthew Sinto. Sinto is an emerging conductor based on Cape Cod. In addition to his work with the Cape Cod Chamber Orchestra, he serves as music director for the Civic Orchestra of New Haven in Connecticut. His studies in the field are extensive from a Doctor of Music Arts degree from Boston University to the prestigious Tanglewood Music Center, where he has twice studied conducting. As the founder and music director of Cape Cod Chamber Orchestra, he has established the only professional chamber orchestra serving the region with a mission to commission music collaboratively with individuals and organizations. Welcome, Matthew. Welcome, Matt. It's so great to see you again. Let's start off with how the Cape Cod Chamber Orchestra came to be. To be honest with you, I had no interest in starting any type of orchestra at all until I moved to Cape Cod and I said, well, what, my wife had a nice, had a nice job, you know, immediately upon moving here. And I, I, what am I going to do as a, not only as a classical musician, but as a conductor who needs other people to do the job. So I, I really, I couldn't find too many other professional classical music organizations out here. And I was, I was actually really surprised. So I said, well, I know a lot of colleagues of mine in Boston area in New York, and why not hit the ground running and set up a, a one-off event? That was my original intention, one concert in um, April of 2018. And with the success of that, we launched our first season and here we are. It's weird being in a pandemic for season three, but we're, we're, we're figuring it out. And from the beginning, I wanted to create an experience of classical music that was really collaborative and in nature, and also brought the people who attend our concert closer to other artists on Cape Cod, other organizations on Cape Cod, and not only within the artistic field, but say the Witta Pirate Museum, which we did a, a, a concert with in last October, just, just working with different folks and bringing an experience of classical music to people that oftentimes is hard to find. It's a really hard sell. I know that. I know. I, I knew that going into this field. It's tough to get people fired up about music that is often 300 years old. But if you if you bring it into present time and make it uh, make it modern, then you'll have way more success. And that's been our recipe so far. And we, we've done that with the combination of uh, I think presenting music at a very high level. Uh, our musicians come. And they've played in orchestras all throughout New England, 
internationally, nationally, they're, they're, they're extremely talented, the colleagues I have. And that in combination with working across disciplines and, and building new audience members that way and building this culture around the, around, on the, around the group. It's transformed since I started dramatically. And I'm actually in some ways thankful that at least in the pandemic in the arts world, we have an audience we've developed over the past two years who will come along with us on the ride no matter what. And also we're at a point in our organization where we're not so massive that we can't sustain an all virtual program because that's the real issue. For a large organization like the Boston Symphony or the New York Phil, it's, it's oh, you're constantly losing money on doing virtual programs. So we're a little more nimble and flexible in that regard because we're smaller. So in many ways, things, I'm trying to stay as positive as I can about the whole thing. Things happen for a reason, maybe at the right time for us. And here we are, here we are today, so. How do you keep a group? Cause is it about 40 musicians? We have a, yeah, it's about at our largest capacity yeah, between 30 and 40, yeah. And you're the leader, you're the creative director, you're the executive director, you're the conductor, you know, you're. Yes, you're, everything, keep going on with the list, you're correct. <laughs> you do everything, you know. I do everything. You raise money. Yep, um, social media, I mean, that's Yeah, big. the marketing, yeah. the events, um, the production. So how do you, as a leader and as an artist yourself, connect with your musicians to say, believe in this, like, we're going to do this together. How do you, how do you create that culture within that, your organization, your young organization with these very established musicians to trust you? I I think it all goes back to really simple things like being a friend to everyone, I think is highly undervalued. Set, set, especially now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that you know, I'm able to do various things online and you know, my wife has a stable, steady job. And that's not the case for a lot of musicians, especially my friends and colleagues who are a part of the gig economy, which has been completely devastated for the past eight, nine months, whatever it's been. So I, I try to reach out to them and ask them, how can I help you? And how can I use the organization to raise funds for them specifically to give them some relief? Because it's there are grant opportunities now in New England for musicians, but they're so difficult. I mean, the, the amount of applications for these relief funds for musicians are endless. So I set out at the beginning of the pandemic to raise money for them and, and to help cover some of the fees that they would have gotten for our concerts that were canceled. So we were able to, it's a little part, but I think that goes a long way to, to keep people in the loop with the organization and also try to provide ways virtually for each of them to participate in the orchestra. I've, I've, I think I built that culture from the beginning because when we get together and make music, it's always been like a family experience. We all love playing together and we've been playing together for you know the past couple of years now. And even though it's pretty infrequent, 
in a grand scheme of the year, when we get together, it's, it's hyper-focus and we have a great time and we make music and it's actually now it's even more of a rare opportunity that any of the musicians can participate in any type of group music making. It's so it's, it's been, it's, I know it's been very emotional for everyone for these virtual programs that we've been doing just to come together for, you know, two days to do the recording project. It's over so quickly. I mean, and we're all very focused for that moment, but I mean, I had a lot of withdrawal afterwards knowing, I don't know when I'm going to really be able to do this again. You know, it's going to be probably a few months before we can have this opportunity. So I, I, it's, it's a palpable feeling in the room with a lot of them. And that's been, I think, driving us artistically, right, for now. And, and it's and it shaped who I, who I am as a, a leader of the orchestra, not only um, artistically, but I think administratively. I think that's what you're saying is so important when you're working with a, a team of people, you know, that you're valuing them as people as well as artists. You know, I, I think that sometimes we forget when we're trying to get things done, you know, and keep going. And so uh, I really appreciate what you're saying about, about that. And, and for a conductor, oftentimes we put labels on people, maybe based on the instrument they play and small little things like that in a rehearsal to know everyone's name and to say, you know, Mary, as opposed to, you know, Hey, oboe player, <laughs> like it, but, but no, but it, it's, it, it honestly makes um, it's because people identify with their instrument, you know, cause they, 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 you are making music in a way that is, is going through you and the physical instrument that you're playing, but to address people as individuals in a rehearsal setting goes a long way. I mean, that's something I was always taught and something I've always done. How does, how does sitting apart from each other affect the playing though because isn't there a lot of like communication and body language within a group of, of classical players so that must be well I have no experience but I'm imagining that that oh, must no, be difficult to uh to have that that same feeling and, and, all, and also wearing a mask is also changes the personal connection especially with me because I communicate a lot with my facial expression as a conductor you know, of course I'm gesturing, but, you know, I can, there's certain emotions that get lost through the, the mask. And at least people can still see my eyes. Cause I think that conveys actually a lot of information for the musicians and for the musicians communicating with each other. So tell us a little bit what to expect if you go to a live, live performance of the Cape Cod Chamber Orchestra. Yeah. I, I, we always choose venues that are more intimate so people can sit closer to the orchestra. Oftentimes when you go to a, a large symphony concert, you may be sitting like you know, dozens of feet from a musician. You can't really see the communication that happens. There's a lot of communication that happens between the musicians and all non-verbally, by the way, right? And, and for my part, I do my job non-verbally, right? The conductor's not speaking during a performance telling people, okay, you come in here and there. No, it's all gestural. And in the way um, string players or woodwind players or brass players play, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important to get that sense of, you know, trust in one another. And that's, that's part of our performance. I think when you go to a concert, you get this feeling 
that everyone is in it together and we take risks together and we are very spontaneous. And I, I try to be as spontaneous as possible. And what it, what it results in is a really exciting experience of music, especially when you're up close and you can, you, you really feel the, the vibrations of the, that the musicians are creating in the, in the space that you're in. Tell me what you mean by we take a risk together. Well, we have rehearsals, right? And what is the point of rehearsal? I mean, in any field, or not just classical music, is to prepare for a performance. And you could, you could do it two ways. You could rehearse for the concert and, and play music exactly as you rehearsed it and not take any risks and say, we, we've, we've planned how we're gonna play this. We've, we've practiced the performance. Or you can be super spontaneous and change things in the performance and it gets everyone, the energy level in the group changes immensely when you start to do that because, oh, that was, that was different, okay. Or I do something different, I, I, I phrase something differently or I look, something very simple, I, 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 I look at the, the cellos in a way that I never did before in order to get them to maybe play out more of whatever they're doing, those types of things. Um, because we're recreating music for the most part, that's very old. We were, it, this is not a, it's, it's not a jazz group in the sense that you're improvising, but I approach it in that same way. So we have the music in front of us, but there's so many decisions that you can make that the composer may or may not have told you about. And that stuff only happens in a live performance. And that kind of goes back to that trust and caring that you're talking about. People aren't going to take risks unless they feel comfortable and safe. Right. And they, and they have to trust me because I'm in the way the guide, guiding them through the music, guiding them through the structure and form of the, of the piece. And if they're not always glued to the tip of my finger, then it becomes difficult to have and influence change you know, spontaneously in the, in the moment. So yeah, trust is a huge factor. So it's kind of like the punk rock chamber orchestra. Is it? <laughs> yeah, sure. We need a makeup <laughs> artist, but um, <laughs> that's the right idea. Yeah. Matt, have you, since the pandemic, have you felt like I really just want to give up or have there been moments of, you know, I, like, how do I keep staying inspired? Like, how do you keep going? You have a ton of energy. I see you doing stuff almost every night <laughs> on social media. Like, do you, are, do you ever have dark moments where you're like, I, I just, I, I need a break? No. <laughs> I, I think it's part of being just surrounded by music constantly. I, I, something musicians don't do a lot. I listen to music a lot. I, I, it's been part of my life just sitting and listening to classical music. And I think it helps, helps me formulate my thoughts, helps me relax, de-stress and get a sense of peace within myself. And that was what helps me kind of keep going. And also I think it's a sense of urgency for me constantly that I just need to be working, figuring out, you know, how can we best present this? How can we change this? You know, it's a constant kind of constructive criticism 
of my own activity. And that's what, that, that's, that's what being a musician is all about. You're, you, you face rejection 98% of the time, especially as a conductor, because it's, it's a tough life breaking into this field. If you're a violinist, it's hard enough, but imagine being, you're the one individual in the whole organization. You're not one of 30 violins that has to go audition. So I've, you come to terms with that eventually. And it's, it's just like, I don't think really not too much can stop me. I think at this, at this point. So you just, you, you assess a situation. It's just some, it's, it's what I do in a rehearsal. You would assess a situation and you figure out a solution. And that's part of being a conductor. It's part of being a musician. And I've applied that to the chamber orchestra running the organization right now. Um, and yeah, you gotta be a little crazy. I, I mean, you gotta, you gotta love what you're doing. You have to, I, I love our mission and I love what I'm continuing to create so much. I mean, I pour hours and hours into aspects that are completely unrelated to music in order to, better that musical experience so the pandemic is it's i i I am i think it's coming to an end at some point and what a relief we're all going to have once we can get back to you know in some normalcy in the arts performance schedule and and playing for a live group of people that's what i miss the most i can't replicate that i can't replicate being in a room and feeling 300 people behind me, you know, and, and some of the venues that we, that we perform at uh, a recording project does not replicate that, but I have to approach it. I have to bring the same level of energy for the musicians, especially to, to, to make it work that we're, you know, this is, this is just like, we're, we're going to try to replicate a live performance. It's been, it's been hard, but honestly, I think I've learned so much in the past eight months to take with me for the next eight years, whatever, whatever it is we need to do to further the the scope and the and the artistic growth of the orchestra and the connections we've been making and different partners I foresee. So I've, we've been, I've been working, you know, a lot. I don't know if it's a coping mechanism, probably somewhere deeply rooted in there. What is your go-to music to chill out? Are you listening to like Bach or... <laughs> Well, let's see. I've been listening to a lot of Mozart. I go in phases. So Mozart is a composer for me. I just taught a, a, a class earlier today, so that's why it's kind of in my brain this week. He's a contemporary composer that lived, you know, over 250 years ago. I think his music is very accessible today, especially for our emotions. And we haven't changed that much. So that, I think his, his, his music is, reaches people and reaches me. So I, Beethoven is, um, again, another composer I listen to a lot of. And then I've also, I, I listen to really weird modern composers that experiment uh, with, with sound in different ways. And, you know, we do a lot of contemporary music. So I, I listen to a lot of composers that are writing music today. And it depends on the mood I'm in. If, if, it's, if, it's, if, if I'm kind of an exploratory uh, mood, I will seek out music I've never heard before. But if I want you know, to listen to something I know very well, like a symphony by Tchaikovsky, or I've listened, listened to a lot of the Nutcracker recently. It's, it's fantastic music. Um, but this is the, it's a great thing about classical music. We have so much history to go back on and so much available on YouTube or Spotify now. It's just the, 
classical music is more accessible than any time in history. Matt, it has been really amazing to talk to you and get to know you more. I feel like we could spend a lot more time getting to know you and um, getting to know the Cape Cod Chamber Orchestra. So thank you for coming today and talking about your work and what inspires you. I know I'm super inspired now to dig deeper into the music that makes me feel good and relaxed and smarter. So thank you for that. Oh, that, well, that's my hope with the orchestra is that people that come to our concerts leave wanting more, you know, and building an appreciation around the art form and what we're doing and music. And you can better your life by uh, participating in music. Absolutely. So let's, we can all do it together. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to today's guest, Matt Sinto, for this episode of the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Until next time, stay well, everyone. We'd like to thank the John and Thurza Davenport Foundation for supporting the Creative Exchange. The Creative Exchange Podcast is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and Provincetown Community Television. Words and music of this season's theme song are by Sarah Burrell, copyright 2009. To donate to the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod's Arts Relief Fund, a project supporting Cape Cod artists and arts organizations impacted by the pandemic, visit artsfoundation.org. Don't you worry.